This podcast is supported by IFC Films, presenting Wildlife. Carrie Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal star in actor Paul Dano's directorial debut. Opens in New York and Los Angeles on October 19th, in theaters everywhere starting November 2nd. Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Michael Koreski and I'm the Director of Creative and Editorial Strategy at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and a frequent contributor to Film Comment. It's unfortunate that when we talk about the hard-boiled or rough-edged American movie makers of the 1950s, so few people mention Ida Lupino. Though she was perhaps even better known as a movie star from her days at Warner Brothers, she was a groundbreaking director, writer, and producer of independent features. Thankfully, Lupino is getting her due at a series currently running at New York's Film Forum. To talk about the tough and singular pleasures of her films, Film Comment Editor-in-Chief Nicholas Rapold sat down with critics and FC contributors Farron Smith-Namey and Sheila O'Malley. Let's go to their conversation now. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. Uh, I'm Nick Rapold, Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. And the topic for today, I'm very happy to say, is Ida Lupino. Um, I'm trying to think how much the magazine has written about her, and I don't want to think about that too much because uh, I, I think it's sometimes been, you know, unjustly oblique. Um, and fortunately, we have a great opportunity now to talk about her because Film Forum is doing a series on the centenary of her birth. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and that that's actually happening now. Uh, and it seems like a great opportunity just to kind of run through her work, which is, you know, spans both directing and, and acting. Um, and she's a pioneer, and we'll talk about all of that. Um, but without further ado, I just want to welcome uh, my two esteemed guests, uh, namely... I'm Farron Smith-Neme. And Sheila O'Malley. Thank you. And uh, I, I mean, I wonder if we could begin just with a little kind of thumbnail sketch of... of Ida Lupino, I, I, I mean, I, I think she's kind of like a, uh, she's a name many people know and probably see as an, an actor, but maybe aren't as aware of as a director. Um, Farron, if you want. Well, she was born in 1918 in England. I'm not sure of the exact location. It might have been London, into a theatrical family um, that, you know, pushed her into acting and theater at a very early age. Um, she memorized a lot of Shakespeare. She would put on backyard theatricals and things. And as soon as she became like old enough to sort of play ingenue roles and the like, um, she started uh, doing theater pieces around England. And eventually she came to Hollywood. Um, she was very pretty. She was blonde when she started out. Um, she had some musical experience, so she did um, some musicals and things. But, you know, she was sort of drifting around Hollywood, you know, like a, a lot of starlets not really getting a lot of good parts. And then towards the end of the 30s, things kind of started happening for her. Um, she made a movie for William Wellman called The Light That Failed that showed her off to very great advantage. Um, she had a, a movie called They Drive By Night for the great Raoul Walsh, um, where she kind of shows up halfway through and walks off with the movie, even though Humphrey Bogart and Anne Sheridan and George Raft are in it, uh, Lupino just steals it. And so after that, people being able to see what she could do, she found herself playing um, a lot of sort of similar parts, very often tough women, but also, you know, women with like a, a an inner fragility or women who had just been really buffeted by life. You know, in several of her films, she, you know, attempts suicide. In at least one of them, she succeeds. Um, she's very so with that kind of on-screen personality she shifted into noir and in the late 40s really quite well and made some very good you know outright noirs and and noir-esque 
melodramas and things. But then as, you know, the 40s waned and the 50s approached, she found herself approaching middle age. And um, Ida Lupino, you know, did not want to go quietly into what I think Sheila has called the, it, is the black hole how you refer to it? <laughs> um, that, that middle age thing where, you know, it, Hollywood doesn't like to look at women getting older, okay? Once you're really old, you can you, start... There's <laughs> a lot of work for... Yeah. yeah. But and when you start to lose your looks, no yeah. one wants to deal with that. Yeah. So Ida Lupino looked at that and said, well, that stinks, you know? <laughs> and she had, you know, she had often said she didn't really want to act anyway. She felt like she was sort of pressured into it. So um, she said she wanted to write. So with... Her then husband, Collier Young, producer, um, she started writing scripts. They started their own production company and they made a number of low budget movies. And those are the movies that are that the series is really kind of revolving around. Um, it's really more closely focused on her work as, as a director. Um, it's, it's interesting, too, because um, she was the only woman in classic Hollywood at that point in time. Dorothy Arsner had done work in the 30s, um, but Ida Lupino was it for a very long time. So as such, she's quite interesting, and she's also interesting for the subject matter that she chose. She gravitated towards social issues and things of that nature. And she continued working as an actress, uh, but, you know, her television um, directorial credits are almost too much to even uh, count. She worked constantly. She was resisted television. She didn't understand television at first, like a lot of people. And then she realized, oh, it's kind of this high pressure, great situation. Um, and I can work and work and work and work, um, which she did. Um, it sounds like her final years were kind of slightly sad, slightly um, reclusive, but you know, it's kind of, it's an interesting, it's an interesting career. I mean, she's such a good actress and I think she does kind of exist in this strange, I'm not sure how people conceive of her. They may know her from high Sierra, you know, from right. fans because mm. it's the Humphrey Bogart, you know, um, she's, and she got top billing in that. Yeah. Um, mm which is interesting, but, uh, her, um, she was a fully rounded woman. She sang, she composed music, you mm -hmm. know, she never really wanted to be at the whims of this industry that never was really into her looks anyway. They thought she was too skinny. They didn't mm -hmm. like, you know, she was never interested in fame of that, of that kind. Yeah. I mean, one one film that I think is kind of prominent in in this series at Film Forum is The Hitchhiker, which they kind of more or less open and close with. It looks like uh, so. I mean, it's it's kind of I guess it's sort of easy to see why. Um, but how does that fit in for you and, and for either of you in, in terms of her career? I mean, would you say that was her most famous? I I, I think I think it is you as know, a director. I, mean. I, I think it's her best. Yeah, you know, yeah, for 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 sure, and. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, I think like for, for years, it, it may have been one of the only ones that, that people really knew, right? Yeah. She's, um, a lot of the films that are in the Film Forum se series, um, you know, including a couple I haven't seen, right? Like, um, Not Wanted. I I've never seen, seen that, that one. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they've kind of, um, you know, you can't say they were buried. They were public domain. They just weren't, you know seen very often the the prints they weren't that were screened yeah. right until so, youtube came along you couldn't see a lot yeah right mm. but the hitchhiker was pretty consistently you know like well regarded and well seen and i, I think it's because it just it, it works brilliantly well yeah it's interesting too um that apparently I, I don't forget which number it is in her filmography it's like four or five but she was attracted to it um you know it, almost primarily because it was an all-male story. She really wanted that. She really wanted to show that, that she could do that, you know, mm -hmm. that she could do this very tough, mean movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's um, no woman in it. Yeah. 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 Um, so. That's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's <clears throat> from, yeah, from the beginning, it's a, 
just pretty grim and lean and you know everything about the way it's shot as well is constantly drawing you into this into the menace in a very like face-to-face way and so much of it is in that car yeah so much of it you you know they leave the car but you know a ton of it a lot of limitations on filming on how you can film these you know the guy in the back seat the two in the front and um it's uh yeah, I've seen that one quite a bit. It works. It works every single time I see it. It's very frustrating to watch because you're like, you guys could so overpower him if you just like <laughs> yeah. got together a little bit. And um, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if there's a deeper social point about mm. men who, you know, they're clearly lying to their wives. You know, they're saying they're going on this fishing trip to the mountains, but they're really headed to Mexico and they're saying, hey, want to go see Florabelle and this blah, 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 you know what I mean? And then so when the police are looking for them, they're looking in the wrong place because they're poor wives. Anyway. um, Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, there is that kind of feeling of, yeah, a a violent man in a confined space is, is kind of ruling the situation, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And then when they get out of the car, um, they, you know, with, with Nicholas Masaraka, you know, they do, mm. she does a very good job with like the pitilessness of the desert, right? You yeah. know, you've got that sun beating down or whatever, and you know, you know, like once, once they're out there, you know, half, half of the problem would be, you know, like even if they could get away, what are they getting away to? Right. It's totally water? desolate. Is yeah. there any, yeah. yeah. So it, it's, um. It's it's interesting too um, the the way you know like uh, William Tallman who's playing I forget his name the 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 serial killer Myers who, Myers yes who's right. who's you know he he has like a key light on him for for much of the movie <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's interesting because um, Tallman I. I don't want to insult the man, but he was not a pretty face, you know, and he had terrible teeth, you know, and, and so, you know, it, it's, it, he's, he's getting the kind of key li- glamour lining yeah. that, uh, right. that like women yeah. often got. And, yeah. you know, I, I, it's, it's, it almost feels like kind of a, a, an in joke because, you know, Ida Lupino knew very well about, you know, lighting women, you know, to, right. for, to, to emphasize their features, you know, and I, I can see her getting a kick out of giving that kind of lighting to her villain. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of key light as kind of tabloid <laughs> photographers, sort of, you know, <laughs> right. the luridness, you know, that, that kind of skeletal face. And I don't know. And, and this, do I remember correctly, I, for some reason, something's coming back to me. This is a movie that actually had an effect on hitchhiking. I seem to remember. Oh, it had some. I believe so. Um, yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah, you you see this movie, you would never go near <laughs> another Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and wasn't it based on an actual event? Like she was very much into, yeah. um, you know, her films are sort of not ripped from the headlines, but they were issue films. You know, yeah. for the, this one, not so much, but it still was a newspaper clipping that she had her. You know, that sort of got her mind going of like, oh, you know, the storytelling. Yeah. Like, let, let's just imagine what would have happened. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I definitely, I mean, I haven't seen all of her films and certainly not all of her television, the television that she directed. So I can't speak to those. Um, I was just reading in this book that her favorite thing she directed was an episode of The Untouchables in 1963. So I'm Uh going to go find that. But um, (laughs) yeah, I think The Hitchhiker like really holds up really well. Yeah. And this is, it's a nice looking restoration of, of it too. Yeah, because um, it's it's another one that I think it was public domain. It's been um, yeah. it's yeah. been available on on YouTube, but you know the the YouTube version is is nothing. You know, seeing a screener of the restoration, the YouTube version has nothing on on what it's yeah. going to look like at, at That's film great. forum. That's so. awesome. Yeah, I think the last time I saw it was at MoMA a number of years ago in a print that. I'm not even sure if it ended up that they couldn't even use the print, I, I, but it was yeah, <laughs> definitely a bit of a fraught. Uh, yeah, it 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 was it was based on a, a real life case. I I can't remember the the man's name, but I do remember that they had to um, cut down his uh, his murders. He he actually killed some kids along with it, and the the Hayes office was like, no, no, we're, we're, <laughs> wow. you're, you're not, you know, too I mean, real. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I I feel like yeah, Ida Lupino probably <laughs> would have been you know fine with showing like a, but she knew better than to try and slip right. that past them. Right. Yeah. So. I mean, at that, I mean, at that point, how hard would it be for her to make a movie like like that? Just as 
being the kind of lone female filmmaker at the time yeah. in, uh, within you, the system. I mean, it helped that it was her own production company. Yeah. And it also helped that it was, you know, that the budgets were low, mm-hmm. you know, which it affects the films negatively in, in some ways, you know, in terms of, of casting or in terms of like, you know, production values or whatever. But on the other hand, I mean, that was always the good thing about yeah. B-movies or, uh, you know, like, programmers was that you you did have a little more freedom you know if if, as long as you bring it in on time and under budget you know nobody's really going to be breathing down your neck and the hitchhiker i think it it was quite successful um it Mm. it did made money yeah 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 yeah, not all of her films did but that one did yeah um i think another one that uh, we were talking about uh was outrage is that's another you're interested in that that is the um, what was that nineteen fifty? Yeah, and that was before. No, yeah, that was, was like was, I, yeah. I get messed up. Yeah, with Hitch, the, Hitchhiker, I think is fifty three. Fifty three. So you know, outrage is. Um, I mean, it's really little over an hour long. It's short, mm. as I recall, yeah, and it's um, most of her movies. Are. Yeah, it's. Uh, May have you know, helped her rates. transition about, to TV. She was already really... She was, yeah, and you don't need a ton of time. And I think they were all filmed in like 12 days. You know, she didn't really... Uh, yeah, so it's about, you know, a girl who gets raped within the first, you know, five minutes, really, of the film uh, by either a stranger or an admirer. He's, I, it's he's been a the, while. He's, he's running like a coffee stand. Oh, he yeah, runs a right, coffee stand. Right. He and, sees her every day and then yeah. sort of chases her down. And it so it happens... It's really about the aftermath and what we would call PTSD now, you know, her reaction to her, I think he's her fiance. It's been a while, but, you know, her fiance trying to, who loves her and is upset, as I recall, Mm -hmm. and, but she can't deal with him anymore because now sex is bad and, you know, his, he's, she's afraid of men now. And so she leaves, she can't. She leaves her leaves her life. I mean, the the people in her immediate circle are all like very sympathetic, but at the at the same time, they don't really like understand exactly how she's feeling. They they don't comprehend like the right. level of her PTSD and the so like a scene with her fiance in in the car that's particularly painful. You know, you get the sense that this guy feels like noble. You know, like, I love you still. I still want right. to have a family with you. Right. You know, he's, yeah. he's he's not being a jerk about it, but you do get the sense that mm. he, you know, feels like this is really magnanimous of him. And You're she, damaged goods now, but I still love you yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and she, like, she can't, like, bear it. She's, like, shrinking away from him. She says, you know, I, I, don't, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't want to be touched. I'll never be able to have a family. And, um, and he, you know, like, starts getting angrier and angrier and starts yelling at her which is you know it's like you're you're cringing you know it is the worst possible thing he could be doing and then she gets out of the car and he chases her yeah you know? and then you're really like oh my god you nincompoop what are you doing right. you know and he and he grabs her you know, and you you can you can see. I mean, Mala Powers was was you know a good actress. She was not a great actress, but she really gets this moment. Yes, yes. She really gets the girl's like physical terror, mm-hmm. um, and like her you know feeling that like everything around her is 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 different, and harsher and darker now. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I was I was also looking at this movie um, in the context of uh, it, there had not been very many Hollywood movies that dealt with rape at all. Um, you know, and if, if it did, you know, it was implied, you know, the same way all other sex was implied. Um, so n- 1948, there had been a movie called Johnny Belinda, for which Jane Wyman won the Oscar. It's directed by John Negalesco. It's about a, a deaf, mute young woman who is raped and becomes pregnant and decides to keep the child. And I mean, it, I, it would be really interesting to put these two movies on a 
on a double feature at some point. Um, Johnny Belinda is like a, you know, big budget production. It's very different, mm -hmm. but, um, but it goes, you know, the, the filming, the filming of the, uh, of the, the assault itself, both of them cut away at the, at the key moment, but um, like Lupino's is like more, raw and and tense and there's the the way that it's filmed in Johnny Belinda it's um I it's it's like more sort of you know melodramatic and and lurid but outrage is a very matter-of-fact kind mm -hmm. of film right and then afterward when she discovers she's pregnant she goes you know, like very quickly into maternal mode, right? And her PTSD or like whatever trauma she's feeling is kind of swept aside in, you know, the rush of love she feels for this child. And it's just looking at it again in, in the context of outrage, I was thinking Lupino, who co-wrote the script for outrage i really feel like she would have she would not have done that without dealing with maybe the ambivalence you would have towards a child conceived from rape mm. she wouldn't have skirted that right the way the movie did and and she she would have shown you know more of how belinda mm. the character is is feeling yeah in the movie yeah interesting yeah I'll see that one I mean, that's, I, I was kind of going to ask about just, try, I was kind of going to ask about getting at this quality of toughness that she brought and what exactly that means, you know, and uh, a kind of toughness being a, a, a kind of, as a kind of realism, really, you know, that, that she, she brings to what she did as, um, a, as an actor and as a director and, but a tenderness being part of that in the sense that it's sometimes hard to, you know, open yourself up to <laughs> certain difficult like moments and realities. But, you know, cause I, I think it's almost become a cliche, like, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if the series is tapping into this at all, but this idea of, Oh, you know, the, the tough, you know, the, the, the tough talking, like kind of character that she might play. Uh, but in what way is Ida Lupina tough? That's what I'm trying to get to, you know, like how well, I mean, is it different she said, from other she ways? She herself said yeah. there was a, I think when she first came to Hollywood, they were going to put her in Alice in Wonderland. Please correct me if I... Because <laughs> yeah, no, she was a, still a teenager were, yeah. and she was playing adult parts. Uh -huh. She was playing a temptress roles at 14, mm -hmm. 15. And she um, eventually, of course, she was not cast as Alice. Um, and she said uh, something to the effect of, um, I've never been naive because I never had a childhood. She... Grew up fast, hard, was working really young and probably saw everything and had, you know, she, anyway, you can only imagine what she probably went through right. and that toughness in her was, um, hard won, you know, and you feel it. She was not a young person. She's an 18 year old, 19 year old actress in these yeah. early movies and that she was doing in Hollywood. I, I mean, I'm sure I haven't seen all of her work that, but she could not play innocent or sweet. Mm. There was a, she, she could play deeply feeling yeah. and part of why high Sierra works so well is this tough girl who says over and over again, I escaped my drunk dad. And then I was a dime a dance girl and I escaped that. And I've been pawed my whole life. You know, all of her characters definitely have that, sexualized young kind of I've been dealing with men wanting me for you know um which gives you a kind of jaundiced I don't know if it's cynical but no one's really up to any good you right. know I can't trust anything which I think served her well as a director admit she's a clear cold eye she was not a sentimental yeah. person which you can see in outrage for sure and in Hitchhiker, if you think about it, it's, uh, I don't know, that's... Yeah. I mean, in, in The Hard Way, which is, um, which is screening in, in the series, which is one of my favorite Lupino movies, she plays, um, she plays a, a young woman who's growing up in this coal town. Um, the opening shot, it's like 
magnificent James Wong Howe shot of this, you know, the grimiest, ugliest, most polluted coal town you've ever seen. <laughs> so right away, you know why she wants to get out. She's the older sister to Joan Leslie. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, she senses that she's not going to be the one who makes it on the stage or whatever. But Joan Leslie can sing and dance and she's pretty. And, you know, she's got this, you know, kind of winsomeness that men that really appeals to men. So what you see through this movie is um, Ida Lupino pushing Joan Leslie into this career. Like, you're going to make it for both of us. You are my ticket out of here. And I, I, I feel like, you know, given that, that Ida Lupino was kind of pushed into a, a stage yeah. career or whatever, there's a lot of her in that movie and in that role. Uh, it, it's supposed to be um, sort of a, a take on Ginger Rogers and her mother. Um, they offered it to Ginger Rogers. She was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I lived it. <laughs> but, but yeah, Lupino brings like a, a really unique quality because, um, I mean, the, the flip side of her toughness is also, you know, um, more, more than, than, vulnerability, like a, a brittleness, a, a sense that, you know, if, if you hit her with a hammer, she'd shatter and, and cut you in, in the, mm. in the bargain, um, is in, in that movie, you know, you see her, um, at her like lowest ebb, right. Things do not go well for her and you see her, I don't want to spoil it, but mm -hmm. you know, you 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 yeah. definitely see her come apart at the seams, and that's also something that you see consistently in a lot of her best roles. That you know, the the tough woman, you know, who like finally. I mean, they drive by night is right. like the classic <laughs> right. example. You know, you could look at that and say, um, and just her her spin on the tough woman. You know, mm -hmm. the sort uh, in that especially is, I mean, she, like you say, she steals it and she makes it look like easily, like I am strolling into this movie halfway through it and I am just good luck. Yeah. Good yeah. luck with, you know, being remembered, but, um, <laughs> I'm taking the jacks. I'm yes. taking the ball. And, and that's, <laughs> but that's, that's a good point yeah. because the, the, about her brittleness, that the toughness is actually hiding a broken, like you know, it's scar tissue mm -hmm. over yeah. uh, brokenness. And that's what, when she comes on for that court, courtroom scene and they drive by night. And I remember, because I saw that movie, I had already sort of heard over and over people referencing that scene. I, I mean, I saw it relatively late in my, and I, this within moments, I'm like, oh, this is why everyone talks about that scene. <laughs> this is why everyone has talked about this scene. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, Com complete madness. There is no vulnerability. It's she's got this jangling, jittery yeah. quality yeah. to a lot of her yeah. best yeah. Per performances. You know, this feeling that like her nerve endings are all right there on the surface. Yeah, um, yeah. and I I really love that in her movies. The too. light that failed. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> which is early, so, but um, yeah. also shows that that mm -hmm. and she's in the shadow of Betty Davis as well. Um, at Warner Brothers and at other, you know, she's taking these parts that she was sort of promoted as the next Betty Davis or, you know, but she is her own, she is her own thing with these kinds of roles. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, that doesn't feel so common to have, to be able to have that, that kind of jangliness as you put it, you know, because yeah. so often. You have often, to have it. Yeah. yeah. You have to understand yeah. What toughness is covering up, and it's not always yeah. a heart of gold. It's not always a mush ball. Right. It's often she needs in they drive by night. I mean, my take on it is that her sort of love for this George Raft character is really all in her head. Mm -hmm. they, I don't think they've ever had any. No, there it has been no relationship. No, you know, it's not like she's you know trying to get back with him. Like he, mm. and so her toughness and her absolute contempt for every time her husband touches her she is so revolted by him um you know and she'd probably end up being revolted by the george raft character too i mean there's something 
you there's, know, there's there's something, no, there's something wrong with this lady. She's a woman who <laughs> uses sex, but you at no point do you get the sense that she enjoys sex. I don't think know. she <laughs> enjoys it at all. And um, she maybe the fantasy is that this, you know, her the feelings that she has for George Raff, like when she says to Anne Sheridan, yeah. you don't know what it feels like to love somebody. Yeah. Like she completely thinks what I'm feeling is mm. so much beyond your little, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, Yes, she's so good in that. She's so good in that. This podcast is supported by IFC Films, presenting Wildlife. Carrie Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal star in actor Paul Dano's directorial debut, based on the novel by Richard Ford. USA Today raves Wildlife is exquisite, with Mulligan giving an awards-worthy performance that crackles and flares. Wildlife opens in New York and Los Angeles on October 19th, in theaters everywhere starting November 2nd. Um, so what else, what else is in the in the in the series as well? That uh, Farron, I think you were mentioning the man I love is another highlight of it. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I really I it's it's probably my favorite performance of hers. It's yeah. um, Raoul Walsh again, and um, the it's she's she plays like um, I think really the most lovable character she ever played, um, Petey, this nightclub singer who goes home to her family. And they're, they're just a, a complete collection of, of screw-ups. <laughs> Everybody is, you know, messing up their, their life in a, in a different way. And Petey's the only one with her head screwed on straight. But then she falls in love with a, uh, a piano player played by Bruce Bennett. And so the, the movie is about whether or not she's going to be able to get, you know, him to sort of see what he has in her and at the same time, you know, kind of keep her family in order and, and keep them from kind of dragging her down with them. I mean, I think um, I, one, possibly my favorite scene in the movie occurs like it's almost at, at the beginning. She's singing with the band. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like the man who got away in, in Star is Born. They're, they're singing. It's, it's after hours. And they're playing for themselves. And, um, and she's, you know, just kind of going along with the music or whatever. And at one point, you know, she's smoking while she's singing. Um, and she, um, one of the musicians has a, an unlit cigarette and you know while she's singing she leans over and lights his cigarette with the tip of her own and there's just so much respect and um and camaraderie mm. in this in this scene you know a, a woman who's completely part of like this masculine That's musical beautiful. world mm. it's it's marvelous i highly recommend it yeah i haven't seen it i'm very excited uh, oh, yeah. i am yeah. very yeah. excited as well yeah. Um, and I, I think also, uh, I mean, they'll, they'll be showing, you know, films that they, that, you know, this screens a lot like on dangerous ground, which, you know, has they aren't screening um, ladies in retirement, which is oh, wonderful. Oh, Ida. I have not seen. Oh, ladies tell us in about retirement. ladies in retirement. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, when I was really going do. through it, I was, I was like, Oh God, where's ladies in retirement? Of? <laughs> it's okay. Time. Film forum. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Film forum. This is, this is a lot it's, of, we're going deep. We're that's yeah. a deep cut, but um, <laughs> it is what has, she is, there's a, a murder scene. She's so frightening in it, and oh. but you really see where she's coming from. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. what, um, what, what's the story on that one? Um, ladies in retirement. Uh, she plays a British. She's she doesn't have to pretend to be American, so she's allowed to speak with oh. her actual voice, and she is a maid um, and companion to a rich kind of rich old lady who has she's fallen down on her luck like basically the um, woman has hired her after buying all of her furniture on auction from um so she's basically a maid in a house filled with her own furniture so, so that's number one right. she also has two really wacko sisters um and i'm not going to remember who's who they're played by great actresses which you would recognize um 
who continue to be thrown out of every boarding house because they're insane and they are messy and they like um, take home dead birds and um, <laughs> collect twigs and all this kind of stuff. You have to see it. And I'm feeling so bad that I have not poor Ida Lupino is the responsible sister who's constantly getting letters from like the policemen in London going, your sisters are out of control to handle them. So she... Um, basically swindles, lies a little bit to get her sisters to come stay in this house with where she works. Um, but they basically walk in and see all of their furniture and think, oh, we're home now. We're never, you know, sorry, we're never leaving. You know, we're never leaving. And this poor old lady is like, when are your sisters leaving? You're crazy sisters. Um, anyway, and Ida Lupino is young in it. I mean, she's a oh. young actress. They didn't want to cast her because she's supposed to be it had been a Broadway show. I'm not going to get all of the details right, but, and you know, it had been a famous performance by a woman in her forties an actress in her. So it was like, but like I said before, you know, she had an old quality. She could, she read as very mature and they filmed her. So she doesn't look good. You know, she's got a big, tall Victorian kind of pompadour. Um, she's super, super thin in this, you know, high it's, well, it is on YouTube. I highly recommend it. Yeah. She's great in it. And she's the, really the center with these very sort of um, eccentric people around her. But her feeling of being so trapped financially and love for her sisters, her difficult, damaged sisters, mm. who um, it's, what, what, what is she supposed to do? Just have them be put in a home somewhere in right. 1870? <laughs> she wants to take care of them and it's not fair. Anyway, it's, yeah. She's amazing in it. So yeah, this is this is one people can self self curate program. <laughs> I highly recommend yeah. it. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, and uh, let's see what else is in the in the series. Uh, Moon Tide. We wanted to talk about Moon Tide a bit, right? I love Moon Tide. Yeah, um, I'm I'm very fond of it too. So where 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 does that one fit fit in for for Lupino? That's. I mean, she had become, she was a star, it was 1942, I think. Mm -hmm. The movie did not do well. It was a vehicle for uh, Jean Gabin. Oh, right. He was going to be a superstar and it didn't end up, you know, didn't end up happening. When you see it, you can kind of understand because his, his, his English, English is, is not that great. Mm, no. um, the mood and the vibe is the so rich. In the film, you know, it's it's a moot tone poem to a, you know, a foggy seaside, you know, it. And it's 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 interesting because you were talking about how she didn't play innocent, but you know, I mean, in this in this movie, her character is kind of, it's it she's a coded prostitute. I mean, you you oh, yes. kind of, you you, con you conclude that, and the for, when you first see her. Um, you know, actually, she's like this tiny figure walking into the water. She's trying to kill herself. Jean Gabin fishes her out. Um, and he, he, of course, winds up taking her home. Um, but their, their interaction, you know, I mean, he's Jean Gabin. He's like a mass of animal magnetism. Um, but you, you, you feel, I mean, you, you can't call it innocence because she's been pounding the pavement. But it's, I guess, sweetness, soulfulness. Yeah. You know, um, she, you know, you, you. She feels safe with him. Yeah. And she takes to safety. Yeah. It's like he creates in this little bait shack that he lives in um and he's a wild man and a blackout drunk and maybe a murderer you know you don't know and he hangs out Details. with a bunch of crackpots and his best friend is a closet case who is insane yeah. i mean yes. thomas yeah. mitchell who is in love with him and is like who is this suicidal dame who's yeah. taking away my my best friend yeah so it's a lot but in that um one room on you know floating in the in the bay she she flourishes in the the sense of safety that he provides mm. um which is it makes you feel it's fragile you feel the fragility of it that someone's going to ruin it which is the thomas mitchell role he's like yeah. you know this is not gonna i'm going to rape her and break her back yeah right. I, you know, yeah I mean, it's really I really mean, out there 
I was I was interested um, in her in the way her acting when um, Gaban gets her this very revealing dress, you know, that's like worn right. by this woman that he knew, you know, is like hang, hung out at the local bar, and um, and she clearly doesn't like it, you know, it mm. reminds her of battle times, but you know she wears it kind of to please him. But while she's wearing it, um, who should show up? But um, Thomas Mitchell, um, who's, you know, in, in full dress, meltdown, lunatic mode. And, um, and, and the way that the, the Lupina physically acts it, you feel how vulnerable she feels in this dress. Like that has like a cut out, cut out, yeah, right? cut out yeah. up top and yeah. cut out in the midriff. You know that she feels almost like she's having an argument with this very dangerous person while she's half naked. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's... Very frightening. Yeah. Very frightening. And really great acting on on her part. Yeah. So, I mean, because she could definitely do vulnerable as well. I mean, in On Dangerous Ground, that's Mm -hmm. another one, you know, where she's she's playing, you know, blind, which she she does very well. You know, she has the physicality of of being blind very well. But um, you sense through her, um, her physical vulnerability of not being able to see and her you know frantic efforts to protect her brother so yeah and and that i mean i I love i love that movie that because it's i mean in some way it's it's kind of like such a hackneyed object of like sympathy potential sympathy that the the kind of blind helpless blind blind person um yeah it feels like a carol burnett skit yeah (laughs) 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 right yeah i mean um and but but I love the way that she's able to ground it in like the actual like lived experience of of that, and that within the context of the like Nick Ray romanticism that almost like supercharges that because there is such a real a core of realness to to it the way she does it. But um, I feel like we've run through quite a few of, of these films already. I just wanted to mention though Sheila wrote about Thomas Mitchell. Uh, Yes. In in, um, in, in Moontide for for a, a past issue of Film Comments. So, for further reading, uh, you can track that one down. Um, and Roadhouse. I guess we haven't talked about Roadhouse. What do we? Roadhouse. <laughs> Sheila wants to live in the Roadhouse. I no. love that Roadhouse. <laughs> I love how you can always hear bowling balls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. I like, like that. love scenes are happening. You can hear. <laughs> <laughs> and how she. Um, pretends she doesn't know how to bowl uh, in her short shorts. I mean, you know, come on, with her little blonde bangs, yeah. which does, I think Celeste Home makes a joke, something like we have the same haircut. They look exactly the same. Yeah. So what is that? 1948, right? I mean, she's still a young woman when yeah. you think about it, but um, she comes on like a, you know, Broadway, like she's been around the block a bazillion, a bazillion times. I think you see her put, she puts the cigarette on the side of the piano, like she, her lit cigarette. Yeah. And, um, it's like a thing, like I won't be here long. You know, I'm just going to put this (laughs) here so I can deal with this. Um, (laughs) and she sings one for my baby, I think one for the road. Mm-hmm. She sings yeah, a couple right. songs yeah. with, and her voice sounds, it brings vocal fry to another. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even yeah. fry. It's literally, she just talks like this. You know, there's no, um, and it's riveting. I, I think it's riveting. Yeah. Um, and Celeste Home crack, makes a crack like, you know, how are She doesn't even have a voice. Like there is no voice. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's, and it's another one. It's funny. I don't. I mean, I don't know if this is just like a function of making movies uh, at a certain budget, but just there's a. It's again that feeling of a, of like the little ecosystem you have, and like a kind of the the uh, of a kind of makeshift not makeshift family, but a, the, these kind of makeshift relations and 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 the the freedom you can have within that, but the prison that that is as well, just being there. Well, then you had to have you have to have the big standoff and, you know, a motorboat catching on fire and all this kind of stuff at the end, Um, which I always forget about when I see it. For me, what I remember is the sound of bowling balls as you're making out with somebody. And, you know, the... The, the the guy who basically destroys the entire bar, yeah. um, he's like 
she's singing and he's getting closer and closer. And there's, it's interesting. There's a guy in front of him who's trying to say, give her some space. He keeps saying, get away from her, mm -hmm. but he can't. And so he then attacks her and then begins to just hurl bottles around like he's King Kong and destroys the bar. Um, but yeah, it, it, um, I mean, I don't know what the point of Roadhouse is, but um, <laughs> I find it, I like all of those people. I like yeah. Cornell Wilde. I like Richard Widmark. I like watching them work. And, you know, it's a simple story. It's really just, a, again, it's kind of a guy who Richard Widmark seems to uh, feel that, well, this is, I'm ready for marriage now me right. and so clearly she's going to be into it yeah right. <laughs> you know and how dare she fall in love this woman who's never been in love how dare she make her own choice and like suddenly choose to lo love my friend yeah. that's really the story you know suddenly you know motorboats exploding but you know you have to end it somehow but i like the mood of it and i want to go to that roadhouse gotcha. and stay in the antlers the antlers <laughs> hotel yeah um well, what's, what what else can we cover about Idolipino? I mean, one kind of question I always kind of want to mischievously ask when you know when when a series is kind of doing doing the work of you know putting a showcase for a particular not overlooked but like less less appreciated or could be should be appreciated more. Like, where what did she bring that we we could use today? Do you know what I mean? Like in, in like you know in, among our, our our actors and directors now. I mean, as 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 a as a director, um, I think like you know her her kind of unadorned blunt realism, her mm -hmm. refusal in her movies to pretty anything mm -hmm. up, um, is you know something that I see a lot you know in in like American indie movies, but but it's hard to do it with the kind of uh, impact and uh, intelligence. That, that she brought to those films. I, I think, um, I mean, a, another thing I really admire about The Hitchhiker is, is how well it's paced, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's like 70 minutes. It, you know, yeah. it feels longer than that because, you know, my God. It's do agonizing. You, you, yeah, it yeah. is. It, it's really, really, you know, I actually thought about The Hitchhiker while I was watching Burning, right? <laughs> because it was like oh, that, yeah. that same, like, you know, strenuous, oh, my God, how much longer is, you know, um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, but not like in in a in a bad way yeah, in no, in, in, in a suspense yeah. tension building kind of way, yeah. um, and as as an actress, I mean, I I think that um, there's a real kind of existential truth to what she brings to mm -hmm. these characters, um, and they're they're often really out there characters, you know, like like. Bessie and the light that failed. That's a, that's a, that's a completely, yeah. you know, like fantastical, you know, character, mm. this evil cockney model. And <laughs> she, she makes her live, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, and she could do that with any number of characters. I mean, she's also very good in the sea wolf that, mm. you know, that's a smaller part, but that's mm -hmm. a, that's another one where you know she's kind of mixing this outer toughness with a, a kind of inner you know I wouldn't even call it there's dread she's in in absolute terror of Edward G. Robinson in in that movie or whatever so that's like the mm -hmm. the tension that she's she's playing Sheila yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pick what up. was the question again uh, I, I, yeah I mean just kind of what 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 Ida Lupino what we could use, you know, let's say we could really use Ida Lupino today. Like what, what is missing? From, um, you know? Oh, I don't know what's missing. I don't know. I'm <laughs> sure a lot of people are doing what I don't want to yeah. say, well, yeah. go that far. But, um, I mean, I always appreciate someone who, who takes a really practical approach to this mm -hmm. kind of whimsical artistic career. She was a very practical woman. And I really admire that. Like, it, she may have paid a price, and by but she also maybe have saw the writing on the wall before anybody else did. And like, okay, I'm going to get out while my I've done the acting thing. I'm going to now do the directing. It's all the same thing. It's all mm -hmm. the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's all part of the same pursuit. And uh, yeah. so I really appre I appreciate that about her. I always have. 
Um, I think it shows in her work and in the, um, you know, she, like Betty Davis, like a lot of the other actresses at the time, really, you know, refused to do stuff that she didn't want to do. She was suspended. She seemed to know herself quite well. This would be good for me. Oh, they don't see me as this, so I'm going to really fight for it. You were mentioning some role that she fought for. The, I can't the, the light, the light, the that, light failed. that failed. Yeah. She really had mm-hmm. to lobby for that. Yeah. She she showed up in William Wellman's office. Um, you know, he was he was not thinking of her for, for the part. And she said, okay, I'm going to read with, I'm going to read, you know, for this part. And he's like, Ronald Coleman isn't here. She's like, you read his part, you know? <laughs> and so like, while well, you know, I mean, it, William Wellman, not an easy man to cow, but he mm-hmm. was cowed and he <laughs> sat down and he read, you know, the, the part of the painter and, um, and she read for Bessie and she, blew him she away. Well, he went to Ronald great. Coleman. He's like, forget about Vivian Lee. She's uh-huh. busy making that, that civil war picture. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She can, she's definitely someone to, I don't know, look up to <laughs> yeah. as an inspiration in, in that regard. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. she, she was not uh, in, 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 ter- in terms of what she would tell interviewers and, you know, what she write, she mm. was not an overt feminist Oh, um, not at all. No, no, no. I mean, very, very, very much Opposite. not so. I mean, she actually mm. quoted unironically the Noel Coward line about women needing to be struck regularly like, like gongs. A gong. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. um, I mean, it, it's uh, she's she's one of those people where you have to to look at the way she lived her life and not mm. so much you know her philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way people talked about her as a director or just there's just so many good like she would say, "Um, do it this way for mom. She would call herself mom. (laughs) So she sort of um, one actor said basically that everyone just ended up wanting to please her. Okay, let's Mm. let's do this. You know, it's a different vibe than Michael Curtis, you know. Right. shouting at you and but still getting great results like everybody has their own. Right. Has their own way. Um, I remember with Dorothy Arsner. Did she also have a nickname? I thought she had a nickname that I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering. I thought she went by Mother as well. But I don't oh, know. maybe, 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 maybe I, it was easier to get people to do what you want yeah, them to do. Right, yeah, um, so it's by, non, non-threatening in yeah, a way. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But you still want to please Mother, right? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. We'll we'll know, we'll know we've really arrived. You know, when we've got women directors <laughs> comporting themselves on set like Otto Preminger. You know, like, <laughs> that's right. That and mark. everyone doesn't know <laughs> it. Yeah, right. that's Nathan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, any any final thoughts on on uh, Ida Lupino? I mean, it's interesting to to think that uh, still how that there was only her at the time directing films. I still find that hard to believe, even though I understand the systemic realities at at the time. But I mean, why? You, thinking of her like practical approach to things, why do you think she was successful at that? Why was she able to maintain that? Was it like a combination of pitching yourself? in areas that people wouldn't feel threatened, like a, a B-movie here, that sort of thing, be movie there, or how, how did she achieve that? Well, I mean, she very, she very sensibly didn't go to any of the majors and say, hi, mm-hmm. I want to direct. You know, right. they, they, they would have, you know, like, like jeered her off the lot. Um, instead, she made her own production company with her husband, and they said, okay, we're going to do it this way. And I think I think the first time she directed, it was almost an accident. It was on um, Never Fear. Oh, and somebody was yeah. injured or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. He was, he was having heart problems. I forget the name of the guy that was scheduled oh, to right. direct uh-huh. the movie, and she, like, stepped in. There, it, We mentioned on Dangerous Ground, there is a longstanding rumor um, that she actually stepped in um, a few days for an ailing Nicholas Ray on, mm. on that movie as well. Um, it would be great. If if it's true, it would be great to know which ones oh, right. yeah. <laughs> looking yeah. at. That was, so, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, hard, hard, fast, and beautiful, which is also in the series, is also uh-huh. a very interesting movie um, with a really good performance by Claire Trevor. Um, I, I don't think it's as as good as as Outrage or as uh, certainly not as as The Hitchhiker, but it is very interesting. It's it's um like it's kind of like The Hard Way, only mother daughter in the tennis world. Um, <laughs> so I, I, again, you know, like the that theme of of parents pushing their kids, you know, mm-hmm. is uh, is something that you know she sort of seem to have a, an, an innate sympathy for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just want to mention, so it doesn't sound like we're 
boosterish at all. But but there where is there is a film that Farron, I think you said you weren't too fond of. Oh no! And I'm curious um, why. I you know because they seem to be trying to make it happen a little I, in the I, series. I, yeah, I I I feel I feel bad about saying this because you know I have come to praise Idol the Pino. But no, I I really don't care for the bigamist mm-hmm. at all. Um, I think it was um, it was one of her. It was like the last movie that she made in that cycle. It did not do very well yeah. at, the, at the box office. Um, and she was in it. Yeah. I mean, I think that she had directed. I think that may have been the first time that that had happened. That yeah. And it's it's oh. it's kind of it's kind of funny. Uh, well, you know, I mean, the backstory to the bigamist is actually to me more interesting than the film. Than the um, <laughs> she, um, Ida Lupino, um, had her divorce with her marriage with Collier Young was not going well. Um, and, uh, she, um, got pregnant by an actor named Howard Duff. And then she divorced Collier Young and Collier Young, um, like did not let the grass grow under his feet very oh, long know, at right, all right. before he married Joan Fontaine, who is the other woman <laughs> in this movie. And, uh, <laughs> the interesting thing is that they were all very, you know, like, you know, in, in I think some they were godparents yeah, yeah. to the new child, huh. like Collier and Joan Fontaine were the godparents of. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh the, yeah. No, they yeah. were, they were super cool about it. It was like a drawing room comedy. You know, like, <laughs> you know, darling, there's my ex-husband. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting that, that Joan Fontaine and, and, Ida Lupino are here in this movie playing this. Joan Fontaine did say that um, that uh, that she, <clears throat> she thought Ida Lupino gave herself better lighting <laughs> than, oh, yeah. than Joan <laughs> did, which I, you know, I, I, on the evidence of the film, she may not be wrong. Uh-huh, <laughs> you know? uh-huh. um, but I guess what I dislike about the movie, you know, well, I, I feel like the script is kind of slow. Um, yeah, what, I, I, I don't I, actually know. What's the story? About, uh, this guy know. basically marries I mean, two I, people. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> well, it's in the yeah, title. So you, you have Edmund <laughs> yeah. O'Brien and he's married to Joan Fontaine, you know, cool, lovely Joan Fontaine who cannot have children and they want to adopt a kid. So it's understandable. I mean, there is like a, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, she, but I mean, before that, even she was neglecting him, you know, she was concentrating completely on her career and now she's sort of come to her census and said, okay, let's adopt this kid. So Edmund Gwen comes in and he's investigating. And that's how he finds out that on the side, Edmund O'Brien has married Ida Lupino, who had like a baby. So I guess I'm, you know, in the first place, Edmund O'Brien is just not like, you know, I feel like, couldn't we have a more interesting bigamist? Couldn't we? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. we have like a more charming bigamist? <laughs> and second of all, um, I, I really, I don't like the sort of strong implication that Fontaine drove him to it. Um, I, I mean, is that's not just me. You get yeah. that feeling from the yeah, movie Yeah, I, I actually well? don't. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I don't really actually remember much of it. I remember the Chinese <laughs> restaurant where <laughs> sure, I do right. Lupino, where they meet up with. Yeah. Like that, that, to me, that had that definitely she has better lighting than Joan Fontaine, <laughs> for sure. Because Joan Fontaine is in this kind of cool, perfect apartment. You know, it's mm. a little sterile. Um, it's not particularly memorable, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I, I think, and I think the movie wants me to sympathize more with Edmund O'Brien than I actually do. Although, you know, it's it's a pretty tough-minded ending that he gets, mm. you know. But at at the same time, you know, it, it's um, yeah, it, it's just it, it's it doesn't work for me. And I guess it, it didn't do very well at the box office either. So mm. I guess you know there were people. And at so the you time see, I, I think I initially watched. I was working on something on Joan Fontaine, so I was watching like chronologically her and that just feels like wow it's like not an interesting part I mean Mm -hmm. I was just seeing it from Mm -hmm. it's like wow you know you feel how women do sort of get lost a little bit once they move out of ingenue like it's not um particularly interesting right and and, I mean Ida Lupino may have given herself better lighting but she didn't give herself that much of a better part not at all she's she's not very Mm. interesting either so um no well I was just curious I guess (laughs) morbidly curious about the 
the, uh, the outlier, I guess, in the career. Yeah, there's a couple others that she did yeah. that I haven't seen um, uh, that she directed. Uh, the one about polio I haven't seen, which is... Never Fear. Never Fear, and then Not Wanted, which yeah. is the one we yeah. um, discussed before mm-hmm. that uh, I'm looking forward to seeing because yeah. she had had polio as a child. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, yeah so I, she, m- I missed that part. <laughs> so, you know, so she was really kind of drawn to stuff that really mattered to her, which is yeah. another thing that is admirable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Farron, is there anything you're looking forward to in this, to actually seeing in the, in the big screen again? Um, I, you know, I have not seen private hell 53, like in a million years. Oh, wow. I remember almost nothing about it except that it had an amazing jazz score. So, um, mm-hmm. with, uh, Don Siegel directing mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to trying to catch that. Also Steve Cochran, Hopefully, being his slimy self. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think I think we've we've talked about almost everything um, among the films, and I'm sure there's more that could be said, but I think we've done a, a good job of it. Um, any any last thoughts or words about? No? Go Ida. Go Ida. Go, go, <laughs> go Ida. Ida. <laughs> I, I like Ida. Right. All right. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.